Welcome back to Family Gathering Podcast. This week, we leave behind the powerful cards in Modern Horizons 2 and take an adventure in the Forgotten Realms. You can find us at familygathering.fm or contact us at magic at familygathering.fm. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most other podcast apps. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Family Gathering Podcast, where we talk about keeping magic in the family. I'm Joe. I'm Jonathan. I'm Valentine. I'm Derek. And today we're going to be talking about a new set that's just come out, which is Adventures in the Forgotten Realms, uh, which is a D&D or Dungeons Dragons inspired set. And yes. today we actually had a chance to go through a pre-release pack and kind of experience the set, which we plan to give you some feedback on. But before we do that, let's start with our cards of the cast in theme with the uh, set that we're looking at. Valentine, why don't you go over your card um, of the cast? So my card is a white dragon. It is four and two whites. Um, it, ha- it has flying it's, and it has cold breath. When white dragon enters the battlefield, t- tap target creature and opponent controls that Creature doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. Why'd it's you, a 4-4. Four, 4-4. Four. Four, four. And it's a dragon to go yeah. with their thing here. And why'd you pick that card? Um, well, it has flying and I've never had anything that has cold breath. And I think cold breath is really good. So this set has a lot of keywords that have never been keywords. So we'll maybe never see that again as cold breath. But that uh, mechanic of tapping something and it doesn't untap during its next untap step is a mechanic that gets seen a lot. And I personally am a big fan of it. It's good because it's often a playmaker. And you put that out, and especially that late in the game, 4-4 flying, and then it immobilizes or kind of shuts down your immediate threat is a good swing in power. So, yeah. Yeah. I like, agree. Like. Jonathan, what's your card of the cast this time? Um, my card is Sojourner's Companion. It is seven colorless for a 4-4 four, four, um, artifact creature. It's a salamander, and it has affinity for artifacts. And artifact land cycling, where you can pay two colorless and discard this card and search your library for an artifact land card, reveal it, and put it into your hand, and shuffle. Why do you like this card? Um, first of all, it's my favorite card. And second of all, um, we had affinity. We were playing that, and we had the Maelstrom Colossus, and it was 7 for a 4-4. Four, four. But this one, and it has affinity for artifacts. I think you're talking about the Mirror Enforcer? Yeah. Yep. But this one has the same thing, but artifact land cycling. Mm-hmm. And That's what's known as power yeah. creep. Yeah, it's power creep. It's literally the exact same card, but better. But what makes it even better than better affinity is... For artifacts. And besides your affinity decks, you now have two 4-4s four that you can get um, affinity with. And that's what's kind of actually shifted a little bit of the popper format um, for affinity. And that now it's gone a little away from tiny little weenie creatures and dropping eight 4-4s four on the battlefield instead. Which has kind of changed that effect. So your tiny little mm-hmm. axiomal there has made a large splash in the popper format. That card is really cool. All right, so let's talk a little bit about our pre-release that we did. So it was the four of us. Uh, We each got a pre-release pack, which comes with five packs. And 
well, six total packs because we had five that came in and the one additional one. So they come with six, and we actually had one extra pack. So we went with seven packs, so maybe cheating? I don't know. Yeah, but it's just fun. It is fun. And so we're working through that. What were some of the big cards that we pulled? Mm, some of my big cards were a fancy Volven Wilds, a fancy Cave of the Frost Dragons, a, another fancy card that is different, uh, my Fearless card, which is True Polymorph, and Devour Intellect. Nice. And then I, I mean, I pulled some eh, okay cards. Yeah. Dancing Sword was one that I not only got in my pre-release foil, but also inside one of my packs, which proved to be a pretty nice uh, pull for me. Yeah. Valentine pulled the blue Planeswalker, and I can't think of what his name is. But what did you make with him? I made um, a dog. And how big was he? He was, I think the biggest was a 1616. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that planeswalker is pretty nifty, and that's he's one of those few planeswalkers. When it comes out, it can immediately defend itself. Yeah, yeah, it, and actually put a pretty big threat at the table most of the time. I mean, he doesn't have any evasion of any kind, but a 16, 16, 16 or even a ten ten is really good. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's solid. Yep. So as you were putting your deck together this time around, the first time around we had um, much less packs to work with. Yeah. yeah. Um. But how did you feel this particular time when you were putting your deck together? Um, what were some of the challenges you ran into or some of the things that you felt just really worked well? Um, well, first of all, I've been making a lot of decks, 40 decks, but this one was kind of hard because I didn't really know what the cards were, and so it was kind of hard, and so Dad helped me with one, and I made a... Um, uh, Island Mountain deck, and it was it was it was mm-hmm. good, but Dad destroyed me really hard. <laughs> it happens. And Jonathan, how about your deck? How many um, colors were you playing? Four colors. I think I was playing. Um, uh, pretty sure I was playing four colors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I was playing black, artifact, white, and I'm pretty sure one other color. No, I think it's only three. Was it three? Yeah. And as you were putting your deck together, I guess what were some of the things that made you choose those colors? Um, so I started off at first thinking a black deck. Well, when I put all my black cards together that I had, I only I only had a little of them. And when I added my mana, it still wasn't enough. So I added some artifacts. Well, that wasn't enough. So then I added some... Well, that was enough. But when I looked at my mana that I had... I only had one swamp, and all and some of the creatures I put in had two swamps that they needed. So I took all those out and put them in with some of the white cards because I knew that I had a planes in there, and the white cards actually helped out really well. Mm-hmm. So kind of you start with one idea, and, and then, then it moved on. Build on it. From one there. I to because most decks that I play with have at least some artifacts mm-hmm. in it so that they can help. Well, this one has, like, all of mine. Yeah, and that's what I noticed right away as I was starting to pull the the packs, is there's, a deep, like, a good amount of equipment in this Yeah. Set. There's a lot of equipment. And, you know, it became pretty obvious um, that getting into some sort of artifact theming uh, seemed to be pretty strong, especially in green and white. Um, there's a lot of cards that play off of having an artifact 
or manipulating an artifact yeah. or you know ETB triggers with artifacts or uh, battlefield triggers. So I, I, that's the direction I went right away. I mean, I got a dancing sword from the pre-release and then pulled another one, um, which is one in a white uh, equipped creature gets plus two, plus one. And then when that creature dies, you have the option to turn it into a 2-1 artifact creature with ward one. So it costs one more to kill it with a kill spell. Um, and then you got an equip cost of just one. Um, and so that one is an easy add in there. It makes all your creatures, you know, whatever you equip it, it comes instantly a little bit better. And so I saw that card and, and a few of the uh, other green or white, usually two drop artifacts seem to work well. Uh, one of my favorite cards at the polling was the Mimic. Yeah, those were really great. They helped me a lot. Yeah. I mean, just the fact that it's two drops, so it fills that slot. It can go in any deck, um, and then to activate it is only two. And then, which most of like, yeah. the man lands usually have to put three. We're usually paying somewhere between three and six. Yeah, to, to activate. But these are two, and it puts a three three on the battlefield. Yeah, and it can be anything you want. So it can be a fish. You, yeah. make, you make it whatever you want. And it's a, it's a shapeshifter, yeah. But yeah. it's. It just it works well because you can drop it on turn two, activate it turn three, and you're still on pace for creature sides because you have a three three on turn three, and so I thought that was pretty useful. And when I saw that with a combination of the other green and white artifacts, I went green white artifact based, and then tried to get as much equipment in there, and then cards that trigger off of artifacts or equipment. I think it's interesting that you feel like white green was the equipment because it's supposed to be white red. But I definitely agree. White white green seems like the equipment deck, especially when you can pull some good rares. Yeah. yeah. Um, my general thoughts on the on the sealed and just the set is it seems very slow. It doesn't seem like a fast set. It seems like they've kind of reduced the overall power level. You look at cards and it looks like they have a lot of text, but a lot of it seems to be everything has a keyword. So it takes up a lot of room, and most of the cards don't end up doing a lot. Now, on the flip side, one of the cards I got this time, because um, I did a, a sealed also on Saturday, um, I got Asmodeus, the Archfiend, and he has a lot of text, and he actually is good. He's a 6-6 six, six for four black-black. Uh, he has binding contracts, so if you would draw a card, you exile the top card of your library face down instead. For three black, you can draw seven. And then for one black, you can return all cards exiled with Asmodeus to their owner's hand, and you lose life that much life. So he's kind of like Necropotence, mm-hmm. which, being older players, Joe and I love that card. Yeah, it is, it is a great card, but it, it, I mean, you have to adjust your play style accordingly yes. to it. But this guy, you do get a little bit of an out with it. So yes. I mean, it's not necessarily as tight of a contract, and it's hard to get rid of as. Ne- yeah, it's not nearly as binding of a contract as Necropotence. Ironically. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I mean, I love the idea that you're, I believe you're exiling it face down. Yes, so you don't know what you're getting. Yeah. Which, when I was playing Valentine, I had nine cards under him, and I went ahead and paid the black and got it, and got six lands. Worth. Yeah. All worth. <laughs> um, another card that I enjoyed, um, I actually just like it for the art. Um, I'll attach it with the podcast. I like the sketchbook art for Manticore. And then I got a treasure vault. Um, 
I don't think it's anything broken, but I like that it's an artifact land. And then both John and I got yeah. the dungeon module version yes. of Evolving Wilds, and I think that is just gorgeous. Yeah, it is. It's pretty neat. It's different enough uh, that it, I mean, it definitely yeah. stands out, but it doesn't pull away. I no. Mean, it's not, even though it is looking just like the old module books used yeah. to look like, it flows in well, so it's not like a big disruptor. And Yeah, I think they're, they're beautiful. Yeah. Evolving Wilds has like 15 different arts, mm-hmm. and I may not even be exaggerating, but this one definitely was a good yeah. one to add to the collection. I agree. And it's pretty cool. Yeah, another card that I think a few of us drafted, yes. uh, what I thought was good, was Null Hunter. So it's one and a green. It's got pack tactics. That's a thing. Um, and when it attacks, if you attack with creatures with total power, six or greater this combat, put a plus one, plus one counter uh, yeah. on it. And so it's a 2-2. Two, two. So it's two for a 2-2. Two, two. So it's solid from the get-go. Uh, but there are many times where, especially with equipment, it was not hard to get to six. Yeah. And so he would constantly become a bigger and bigger threat. But playing him on my side, I could definitely tell that yeah. he's one I wanted to invest in. Playing against him, he was the first kill for me a lot of times. And so it's one of those that I think if you can, in a draft format, if you can pull a few of those guys, you'd be in a pretty good spot with green. Yeah, he was one of the few lower casting cost creatures that I felt like was truly good. Yeah. And and more aggro-ish than a lot of the deck. Yeah, and again, the solid card, two for a two-two. Yeah, Dad definitely hit me with that card. Yeah, mine times. mine was up to a four-four, I think twice. Mm-hmm. And the what I really like about it is it's as soon as you attack, yeah. you don't have to finish the combat, so it's attacking as a three-three yep. when you're attacking with the six. And really, he feeds himself for the next combat. Yeah. He makes it. You know, you may not have to attack with as many creatures the next time. Sure. Yeah. So overall, would you want to do this set again? Yeah. Definitely. Eh. <laughs> I probably wouldn't. I've done it twice now, and I've done one draft on Magic Arena, and I mm-hmm. kind of think I'm good. Yeah, I'd say it's something you want to try. And don't get me wrong, and especially if you're a fan of D&D, you want to get into there. And we'll go into that in just a little bit. But it's something you want to try. It is a little bit different, but it seems like it's pulled away from the magic so that it can put in the D- the Dungeons & Dragons portion of it. And so some of the synergies aren't really strong. And there's no like big driving mechanics. Like some of like, the other sets will have just like one core mechanic, like a landfall mechanic or um, a modular mechanic or, you know, affinity. They're going to have some sort of underpinnings and they spent too much time on the, the keywordings to try to fit those in that they didn't create an overarching mechanic that you could build around. I feel like the only one that might be truly build around worthy for more than just sealed is the pack tactics because there are a couple other cards that have that. And that seems like it's enough synergy just together to be worthwhile. But that, but those cards wouldn't necessarily be interacting with themselves any better than they would as if you tried to stack the pack tactics ability. True. So I I think, yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's nice, but it's just not an overarching thing to, to really pull it together. Um, I, I will also say the dungeon mechanic is a pretty yeah. cool idea. But, I like it. Yeah. And, you know, we had the four of us. I use it. Exactly right. So, I don't know how you're going to get through an entire dungeon in a game. I did not do anything in a dungeon this time. Saturday when I played, I actually ran 
through entire dungeons more than once in a game. Because I was playing blue-white, and I had a lot more stuff that was dungeon-focused. And I bet if we played a 60 card, that might get us through about, like, one... Not even one dungeon. No, it'd be... I guess that... And again, that maybe that's the thing I'm missing and what I didn't see through it. But I, I feel if, yeah, if you're going to do the dungeon, you got to wholeheartedly go into it. And as I'm reviewing the dungeons, they're... They're okay. They're they're very small incremental card advantage, basically. Yeah. The the whole card until you get to the last level is maybe worth a card or two. Mm. And then if the grand payoff if you get there, you know, another card or two. Yeah. So with that, I guess take all of our comments with that grain of salt of we've not been into the dungeons of the Dungeons of Dragons, so we just saw and Dragons, this set. So, we mentioned that we were going to kind of talk about how this set feels with Dungeons & Dragons, and then how it felt like it took some of the magic out to add the Dungeons & Dragons. Mm-hmm. And when Joe was talking about that, it made me think about the fact that this set doesn't necessarily make me want to play magic. It makes me want to play Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah. That, that it does, and there's... I mean, Dungeons and Dragons has a, a special place in my heart because it's been something that uh, I've been playing for a long time, longer than any of my kids have been born. Um, and, and I will have to say I've been really excited to go and play that, and kind of also in memory of one of our friends that we lost recently, uh, was a very big um, fan of Dungeons and Dragons, and uh, Alex actually got our group into a, a similar. Uh, style of game called um, Shadowrun, and Shadowrun was what really where I got to see the uh, allure of what a Dungeons and Dragons or a tabletop RPG will will bring, and we had a lot of fun, really late nights, going through different, you know, well, missions and stuff that come through that game, and so when I had an opportunity to actually play Dungeons and Dragons, probably... It was about 10 years ago, I feel like. No, it was, no, it was like, like 12. 12 or 13 yeah. years ago um, that I got a chance to do that. And I you know, instantly fell in love with some of the, the story of the fact that you could pretty much do anything. Mm-hmm. You can and, like do normal human stuff. Yeah, you can do craziness. In fact, the first group that I attended, I was a guest to that group. And the first thing I did as a, um, as a character is I joined their party and instantly stole all the rewards. <laughs> and all of my claim to fame. And because um, the DM that we had was so loyal to dice rolls, and I rolled really, really well several times in a row, I just instantly turned the tide of the story just on a die roll. And so that's some of the sh- just shenanigans that you get into uh, with Dungeons & Dragons. And so uh, that's been kind of, again, near and dear to my heart for many years. Um, in fact, I named my daughter after my D&D character. Um, so, yeah. Little 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 uh, allegiance there, uh, but as of recently, Jonathan and I have been playing Dungeons and Dragons for I think coming up almost on like nine months, ten months. I was thinking a little over a year, yeah. but I could be wrong. Yeah, I think it was during the heart of the pandemic here, and uh, time's flying by. So very well could be a year. Yeah. What are your impressions of Dungeons and Dragons, Jonathan? It's been super fun for me. I get to be um, a dragonborn, mm-hmm. which is mostly a Dragon slash human yep. mix, and I have all types of super cool abilities that I get at different levels, like 
Um, second wind, where I can heal myself. Um, action surge. Yep. And you're playing the fighter, so your yeah. job is to go up there and tear things up. Or I can use my bow from a distance if I really have to. Mm-hmm. And, and so what are some of the things that uh, we've encountered in our campaign with Dungeons and Dragons? Uh, the monsters? Yeah. We've encountered intellect devourers. That's why the um, devour intellect is one of my cards that I was really looking forward to. Because we just had one of our friends' brains stolen mm-hmm. by the intellect devourer. Happens. Uh, we luckily got them back. Yeah. And um, we came across owlbears, I know that. Mm-hmm. Um, we can cross mind flayers, mimics, like a, a carpet ate me. <laughs> yep, and you'll learn, never just, yeah, you'll learn never to sit on a bed yeah. randomly in a room again. Because I went in a house, and I, we were investigated, and I was like, hey, there's a bed. I sat on the bed. The first thing the bed did was eat me. Yep. I got eaten by bed. Now, what was your greatest moment so far in d Yeah, I think it's when... I was I had been killed by a boss, and then when I was dead on the ground, you have to roll death saves to make sure you don't actually actually die, because you're just knocked out and conscious. Well, I crit on my roll. I woke up and killed the boss. Yep, he rolled <laughs> two d twenties in a row, and so the first one in, in, in when you roll er, a, a natural twenty, as we call it, so a twenty on the die face, um, you pretty much instantly win whatever check you're doing. And in this case. He didn't die. He didn't die so hard he became alive. And then immediately attacked and rolled another 20, which is critical damage on the boss, which was enough to kill it. So And then it fell over probably and just fell asleep. And then, yeah, you pretty much fell from exhaustion. So there are lots of crazy things you can do mm-hmm. with Dungeons and & Dragons. And um, you know, it's it's kind of like the, the Skyrim of games. You can yeah. do anything you want, but there's not anything you have to do. Um, but so with that, knowing that there's just a vast world of D&D that's been evolving over the years, obviously we uh, took a look at this set yeah. and we said, well, is this really D&D or, or what is it here? So I have some um, things that I've seen in D&D, like your spells. Like I know that you use Magic Missile a lot. Mm-hmm. You use Fireball most times to just destroy everything. Fireball's a great spell, as it is in, in a lot of things. But So a lot of things would say it's like D&D is the flavor and the theming. I mean, it's there. I, you, just the, you can see the undertones of it. It's in the effects that happen. The keywords are all abilities that are in Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, they're, they're pretty loyal to the races and classes and monsters that show up and you encounter in D&D. Now, that's a big, wide berth of monsters that it could be. Yeah, uh, but if you were to go through a standard, like, 5th edition campaign that they're on right now, you're going to run into a lot of these things. And you're going to go, hey, it's just like the magic card. Well, really, the magic card is just like the D&D. And so you're going to see that It's mostly based off it. Yeah. Because it was just made this year, and D&D was made a long time ago. long time ago, indeed. And so that, I think, was very strong. Uh, kind of adjacent to the flavor of the theming is the familiarity. And so what I mean by that is when you see a card and you're like, it's a dragon, yeah. it does dragon-like things. When you yeah. see a card and you're like, it's a... Mind Flayer. Mind Flayer. It does Mind Flayer-like things. Mm-hmm. A mimic is just like a mimic. It's mm-hmm. an artifact that it becomes a creature. And so, you know, when you mm-hmm. encounter... If, <laughs> if you played this set and then you go into D&D, you're going to think of the card and the monster is going to act like the card. 
And so I thought that what, they did a pretty good job of that, of just going, okay, how does this creature look like in D&D? How do we make it into a card? And they did a pretty good job of translating that Because over. Mimics, I know, they did a pretty good job on that card. Like, the fancy art of that was a super pretty one that I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Mimic, um, just the normal picture, that's what I expect from a Mimic. Because it was just a chest, and a person was, like, walking into the room. And normally you'd see a chest, and you're like, let's open it, because this happened to us. We were, like, opening a chest once, and then a mimic was, at, the chest was actually a mimic. Yeah, or it could be a bed. Yeah, it could be a bed. Sit I sat on the, I think yeah. I sat on a chair, too. But, but you touched on another thing. The art style, I thought, felt, it looks like d and I mean, It feels very D&D to me. Yeah, you have the campaign book cards, so, yeah, obviously yeah. that was design with those books in mind but just the general you know theming of the art it's not like super steampunky or any towards one particular archetype it looks like pictures you're going to see inside of your D&D books it also makes me feel like someone who's not big into D&D but it reminds me of some of the earlier years of magic art Exactly. Yeah. So where where magic was actually borrowing from D and D as inspiration instead of towards theming, and yeah. So uh, I, I would agree with that fully. I like the fact they introduced the D twenty. I mean, yeah, it, it just it seemed to fit. Obviously, because you the main die in D and D that you use all the time is the D twenty Constitution roll, saving mm-hmm. throw. Um, I I was very excited yeah. to see the. The real D20 be in the pre-release kit and then to have cards with it that have a range on them. You know, you can get an effect. It's not great, but you get something. You can get a slightly better effect. And then some cards have a, if you roll a 20, you get something really awesome. Like I had a card that was like, if you roll 20, you gain five extra life. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of felt the crit of a dice roll. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah. so you know that did carry through. That is a big thing within um, Dungeons and Dragons. It's known as the D twenty system because that is a base die roll for everything. So I love to see that in there. Um, I did like the idea of the dungeon mechanic. I mean, honestly, I was like, how are they going to work in Dungeons and Dragons? Well, dragons. Yeah, you make a bunch of dragons, but how do you really get the dungeon part? And so adding the fact that there is a dungeon you can really explore, and those are legitimate dungeons that you can go yeah. through in the game, and that have, of course, books I don't think we've been through a dungeon yet. Well, you don't want to go through the Tomb of Annihilation. It's not fun. It's ah, that sounds like of, death. <laughs> it sounds like a tomb full of annihilation, which it is. So I thought that was kind of like D&D. Anything else you want to add, Jonathan? Mm, not really. It's just that I saw some little cards in here, like... Uh, you told me to write down some cards, uh, that, on the list that you pulled up of all of them that were coming out, and some of the cards I picked out were mostly some that I've seen that mm-hmm. look cool, and then I picked up, like, a ton, picked out, like, a ton of other ones that I've seen, but my, um, top five of all of them were a gelatinous tube, mm-hmm. I... You've seen that in a movie. I know that. Um, Magic Missile. A Displacer Beast. Because at that time, I had we had just... Just fought him. We had yep. just fought him. A Purple Worm. We had fought babies. Devour... Intellect. The Intellect Devours. Yeah. yeah. 
And so while it was again just a theme, and that hit really close to home for us because we mm-hmm. just fucked those. Yeah, things. we just did all this. Yeah. So kind of on the flip side, and I don't mean to rag on the set further, but there are a lot of things that are not like D and D. So if you if you find that you like this flavor, these are some of the things that you can expect to enjoy a little bit more of actually playing D and D. Probably the biggest thing that I didn't feel in this set that would actually come out of a D&D experience is you are playing a character. Yes. And so your character is doing a lot of those activities. You're building yourself up. And that just didn't carry through. Because you have many. Yep. The characters that you, you interacted with did have a good theme. And those are ones you may actually see show up in a book or a city at some point. But you yourself weren't doing a whole lot. And so that, to me, was a little bit disappointing, especially since there are other games, like I play a lot of board games, where each you, each person has their own player power, yeah. and it's something that's unique to them. And so there could have been something that you could invest in yourself. And more, I mean, this is where, like, I think enchant player or even equip player or something I like feel that like they were play. trying to do that with the classes, Yeah, and- but I don't feel like they succeeded. And that actually was another one that was on there. I think the classes, it was an interesting idea. And that's where, again, you can invest in yourself, mm-hmm. which I thought was going to be pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, because you can be different things, and you pay mana to make yourself even more better in that thing. And it does something different. Yeah, and so the idea was pretty cool. I mean, it's kind of like a saga card, just with a slightly different yeah, flavor. Yeah, I thought it was it's a saga. It's like a level-up saga card. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, a level-up saga. So I thought that was pretty cool. We didn't really experience it too much. So again, um, maybe yeah. something in deeper play, someone may get a different experience from it. But I, they really had very little ability, whereas they're a huge part of the game when you play it. And so if you had something to where you could invest in yourself... And thing is, it can be, like, variable player powers can be even and say, you know, something to where you have maybe a situation where you guys agreed to play the set and I'm going to be a warlock, so mm-hmm. I start my life total at 15, but I have some sort of extra ability. Or someone may say, I, I'm a paladin, so I take one less damage, but start at 30, but I don't get to draw a card or, or you know. So what so. you're describing all... Sounds like the Vanguard cards. Vanguard, exactly, yeah. So maybe they should have went more that route than something like a Saga. Yeah, I think yeah, Van- <laughs> that's a perfect idea. Vanguard was late 90s or something yeah. that brought yep. that out. And it was simply that. You put it down and you had a little tweak. Not You would start at 15 life, but your, your starting hand was 10 cards. Yeah. Or your starting life was 40 life, but you had 3 cards. Yeah, it was it was it was a great little extra flavor. Unfortunately, it didn't carry through. Maybe that's why they didn't do it. But again, the classes just there there was nothing to the classes, and so that I didn't really like because again, it's a big part of the game. Uh, one of the other big drivers in D and D, and Jonathan, you can speak to this. D and D is all about objectives. You're yeah, told to do something. You're told to go to a quest. You're told to go to a dungeon. You meet things along the way that you finish. So with the objectives, again, you're, you're directed to go do something. And then once you do that, you're going to get some sort of reward out of it. And so I would money, love... Mostly. Yeah, money, treasure tokens. All we usually get. I mean, that's to where I kind of wanted the classes to act like that a little bit, but not have a cost, but rather guide you. You know, I'd rather have an enchantment be a mission. And as soon as you meet the criterion... 
you're given some sort of reward, even if it's incremental over time. So something like have total creatures with power eight or more, and then draw a card, and then it moves down a level, kind of like um, the sagas do a little bit, mm-hmm. except instead of it being forced down, you have to meet each criterion, and then you're given bonuses related to that. And so there was nothing that was kind of driving that out of the board at all. Um, another big item, and I don't know necessarily how they could have done this, but I really think it needed to be there, is Dungeons & Dragons and your characters are all about the main six stats. Your strength, your wisdom, your constitution, yes. your dexterity, your intelligence, your charisma. Those drive your character, and all of the things you do are going to be affected by those six stats. And those are definitely missing. It, yeah, it's not there at all. And so could it be something that, um, again, is it another card that you play with that you also, you start at one number and then you're adding a counter on there or something of that nature? And if your strength is at two or more, all your creatures get plus one, plus one. Mm-hmm. If your wisdom is at a certain level, you get an extra card each turn. Is it if your you know, dexterity is on there, all your creatures have haste. I mean, there's... Things they could have done with those stats that were just not present at all on any of the characters. But the first thing you do is you roll your stats when you're setting up your character. When you're, uh, after class and things like when that. When I was playing one battle of Valentine, I know that I actually got one class out. And I got mm-hmm. to do the first thing. But the minute Valentine saw that and it was her turn, she literally demolished that card yeah. by getting rid of it the first chance she got. Because yeah, it... Mostly it's new to her, cause, and us too. Mm-hmm. So she looked at it, like I looked at some cards, was like, nope. Because it was, and got rid of it. it was like a full full, right? Pretty sure it was a thing that could possibly kill me. Yeah. So I was like, high level, kill it. That's what I did. Demolish it, make it non existent. It's gone. Yeah. So two more complaints, but one of them is back to the dungeons. I, I'm, I'm sorry, but I think kind of the dungeons are a bit of a joke. It's just dragons it, it now. Not, yeah, it's just and dragons. The dungeons give you nothing of a dungeon experience. Dungeons are all about taking chances. You're going to go into a room and you're like, I don't know what's in that room. I could die. But I'm going to do it anyway because there's some luster of a prize behind there. These dungeons are just... Tell you. I'm going to move you through it. You get choices, but it's not... You know what the immediate result is. Yeah. So so, you know what you want. Like the good stuff and bad stuff. You already know what it is. So it's mostly you cheat in the dungeon. Like you have a drone in the future flying above the dungeon, looking at every trap and being analyzed. Yeah, Now, so now we're back to Shadowrun. But no, these, these dungeons, everyone knows what's out there. There is no mystery to them whatsoever. And quite honestly, I would have rather seen this as there is a dungeon. It doesn't need to have a name, but there should be a dungeon in which they have some sort of, you know, universal effects that are somewhat hidden from the group. And that could be a, you flip over the top two cards and something triggers off of whatever shows up. If it's a creature, you take two damage. If you have a, um, you know, a land, you gain three life. You know, there's some sort of gain, risk reward that comes with that. And that's what really the dungeoneering is in D&D. And as you're traveling through a dungeon, I mean, the running joke is you're moving about four inches at a time mm-hmm. every, like, five minutes because you're constantly like, oh, my God, am I going to die? Am I checking this? Am I checking that? None of that came through from the dungeon mechanics. What if they had 
still had the three dungeons, but instead of choosing which dungeon you went into, it was random. Because then you have two that aren't really bad, but then, like you said, the two. dungeon of or tomb of annihilation yeah. is n- not really that good because it's very risky. Did you all pick it? So you could randomly get into that one. The the choice to go down that I mean, it's still offered to the players in the game. Yes, you always do have a choice. I think the randomness that I would like to have seen is you enter this room, roll a d twenty, see what happens. Yeah, and okay. then some of those results yeah. will go bad, some of them will be good. It's so almost taking the d twenty mechanic. Onto the dungeon. Pull it off the cards, put it onto the dungeon, and also build in risk. I mean, when you roll a one in D and D, bad stuff happens. Yeah, yeah. Like, at the very least, good stuff doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean, rolling a one in D and D and bad things happening is actually just kind of part of culture now. Even yeah. people who don't play D and D know that if you roll a one, you're dead. Except for wild magic, because uh, if you roll a one, something can happen. But it could be bad. It could be good. Well, yeah, rolling a one in wild magic could be anywhere from you start spitting out pink bubbles out of your mouth, yeah, or a fireball just drops on your entire team. I mean, it. But the thing is, there's something negative that could come out of it. There is every time you roll a dice, you do that knowing you could again have a risk and a reward. You could be failing or not. And it also, that's what creates the flavor of the game and the hilarious stories later on. Like where you have this super high-level warrior that gets killed by a peasant because he (laughs) failed several attempts to not get killed by a shovel. I mean, that's the sort of stuff that happens in D&D that was not in here because it was all just, okay, you just get the lesser good thing and Mm -hmm. not you get a bad thing out of it. Well, um, I like the dungeons, just like... Maybe if you changed up, like, one thing, like, like you said, it would be nice to, like, kind of have the rooms secret and Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. So maybe if you put, like, they made this card or other dungeon card, you still can see the name. And if you've never played D&D, it would be hard and you wouldn't know what it was. But for, like, you guys, you would already know what might happen. But then have, like, a whole, like, kind of extra card Mm-hmm. on top and where you can see all the wards but you can like pull it out and like it's like so you, you have some of it covered some of it open, yeah. and then as you're going through it you can pull it down yeah and that's definitely one way to do it is better than going there well, i'd almost say get a dungeon deck where it's a bunch of cards and then you're shuffling that you draw the top one and you're going to, you know, roll something and something's going to happen out of it. So there, there's much more they could do on that. And it, I think if they revisit this theme again, they need to really redo the dungeon because that mechanic yeah. was kind of, yeah. What I was thinking about when you said that the dungeons were kind of bad and that we need to upgrade them, what I was thinking was, I was thinking that there would be this giant, like, board and they would have, like, those, like, in books where they have, like open the flap, they have like little open the flaps, and then when you move, when your character, you have this little like person or a meeple. It when your meeple goes on this certain place, you will flip the flap, and you have to roll a d twenty and see what will happen, and then some, you might get a reward, you might die, you might get 
blasted into the sky. So this will be the great and next new book that Wizards puts out, where it's you know for the three or four year olds that like those magic flat books. Yeah, yeah. But with a nice Dungeons and Magic thing. <laughs> so, but my my last issue, and this one was really a minor one, and I um, I kind of feel that maybe it is there, and I'm just not feeling it because of the theming is the idea of magic items. Now, in in, in magic, you have artifacts, yeah. which are often like rocks. Yeah, the that, ones that you, like that you do thing with. They're all very like utility. Where in in D and D, magic items are where a lot of the creativity comes out of. Like the deck of many things in, yes. in this set is very boring because the actual deck itself is very yeah. Because you can be you can like when we were playing in Dungeons and Dragons, they have a deck of many things and someone. Randomly in battle, when they were fighting for their, um, let's just say castle, um, they were fighting and they were, and someone ran and pulled a card off the deck of many things, and it summoned all these, like, demons, and they got sucked into this, like, black hole, and got trapped in this demonic world, and then you can, and then someone else pulled the card, and it was the wish card, and... For some reason, when they pull the cards, they normally just disappear. Well, all the cards didn't disappear. Yeah, and so that's where I, I kind of felt like I wanted to see more artifacts on the caliber of, like, Isochron Scepter. Now, that card, yes, hashtag broken a little bit, but, I mean, that it does, it, 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 I mean, it has an impact, and you, you kind of want to build around that particular card because it's, it's strong. It actually possesses some strong ability that you want to build into your deck because of just the the interactions with it. It's not just an artifact. It actually has some ability behind it. And I didn't really get that from this set. And it's really hard to describe to those that haven't played D&D, but the idea of magic items is they do a lot more than yeah. just an artifact or an enchantment would. And so I would have liked to have seen something more on those calibers or caliper uh, just wasn't there this time around. I think there's a few things and some of them are equipment, which is not necessarily a magical item, but like dancing sword, I feel like is meant to be kind of the equipment with the magical aspect because then it turns into a creature. There's Vorpal sword, which we didn't see today. But again, it's a equipment, but it has a very big effect. It for some extra mana, you can just target player loses the game if it connects with a player. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's I saw this card when I was looking for that said if um well I think it's something different. So I, I think there's a few and then there's like the Book of Vile Darkness mm-hmm. and I can't think of what the angel related oh, one is. Deeds. Yeah. But I don't think that they went very heavy with that theme, like you said. Yeah. And I agree. I wish I would see more of that. Yeah, and it's and those are obviously big, big items in the game. But there are some very small utility items, mm-hmm. like a movable rod. Yeah. It's just a rod that you click a button and nothing moves that thing. And so can you work that into this game? Well, like, uh, well they couldn't use that mechanic because they need it for Thor's hammer in a few more uh, sets. True. But overall, like I said, I, I think it was a fun adventure inside of our yep. Forgotten Realms, just to play on the name a bit. 
I think it's definitely worth something if you like magic or if you like D&D, you need to play this set. Yeah. Because, again, those who like D&D are going to love the components that carry through. Those that like magic are going to really get their lore and maybe want to start playing D&D, which I know is ultimately what they're trying to do is get people playing. That's kind of why we're doing our podcast, get people playing from all different backgrounds. And I think this set does that. So if you have an opportunity, check it out. But with that, anything, any other comments on the set itself? So my disappointment, um, our household is big into Stranger Things, and Stranger Things is big into D&D, and we saw the Mind Flayer, so I was super excited about that, but we did not see the Demogorgon. Was no Demogorgon. So minus, that was my disappointment. Yes, minus 50 DKP, unfortunately. All right, well, with that, again... Go check out the new set, and I'm all tapped out.